The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church, a member of the Wells of Hancock, Minnesota, from October 3rd, 2010. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God, through which the Holy Spirit comforts us for life and for death, is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, the gospel for today. Now there was a rich man. He would dress in purple and fine linen, making merry day after day in the most splendid ways. A beggar named Lazarus was laid out at his gate, covered with sores and wanting to be fed from the droppings of the rich man's table. In fact, even the dogs kept, li- kept coming and licking his sores. It happened that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's lap. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell he lifted up his eyes, tortured, and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus on his lap. He called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue. I suffer in these flames. Abraham said, Child, remember that you received your good things in your life, but Lazarus similarly bad things. Now here he is comforted, but you suffer pain. And in all these things, a great chasm is fixed between you and us, so that those who are with us, who wish to cross over from here to you, cannot, nor may they cross from there to us. He said, I ask you then, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may testify to them, in order that they too may not come into this place of torture. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead would come to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of our Lord. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. He was a good man, a a model of success, a good family man. He, He cared deeply for his brothers who are with us here today. He loved entertaining people and friends who visited never left disappointed We will surely miss him. I could well imagine words like that, spoken as a eulogy, if that rich man in Jesus' story here had died in our present day. Just think of what kind of funeral that would be. The finest casket and vault, the biggest headstone, so many flowers, so many coming to pay tribute. But what a tragic funeral. 
But we don't have those words that say that the angels carried his soul to Abraham's side. But Lazarus, who would have been thrown into a common, probably unmarked grave with few, if any, mourners, what a wonderful funeral. For there we are told the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Which will your funeral be? As Jesus tells this parable, this story, he confronts us to examine the way we live and whether we are ready to depart this life. Questions for us to think about and examine our hearts. And as we take a look at the first part here, as we move into that first part, maybe you're still thinking about that, that eulogy I started with. Seemed a little bit too good for this rich man here, didn't it? Well, besides the fact that that's the way eulogies often are, it's also, I think, a temptation for us to try to picture the rich man as being extra bad. You see, that helps soothe our consciences a little bit then if we can picture him as being extra bad so that, you know, we are not at least that uncaring. So maybe we like to picture him as kicking Lazarus as he lies there in pain or, or making him the butt of his jokes. Or maybe we try to justify ourselves by saying, well, I'm not rich like he was, so do I really have to be all that concerned about helping the poor? But that kind of thinking just hardens our hearts against what Jesus wants to teach us here. Let's think about that rich man a little bit. Do you notice how even there in hell he addresses Abraham with respect, calling him father? No doubt that during his life on this earth this rich man had learned his religion and carried out his religious obligations. He had done his duty. And also, even though we're not told whether Lazarus was fed or not, why would they keep bringing him there if he didn't get something at least? Now, I'm not saying that the rich man really cared about Lazarus in any way, but maybe it was only the servants dumping the table scraps close enough for Lazarus to eat. At any rate, it does seem that the rich man fulfilled what society expected of him in regard to this poor beggar. He carried out his societal obligations. He did his duty. So then why is he there in hell? To answer that, let's take a look at how Jesus describes this rich man and see how his life is focused on the earthly. Jesus says here, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. That was the designer clothes of those days. He knew what fashion was. And he lived in luxury every day. He knew how to get the most out of this life. Yes, see how he is focused on the earthly. What can he get out of life? How can he enjoy himself? And even what Abraham says to the rich man as he is there in hell brings this out. As Abraham says, in your lifetime you received your good things. Yes, your good things. The things that you thought were so good, 
so important, those things that you look to for your happiness, joy, peace, security, and comfort. Yes, those earthly things that you treasured so much. You had them. You had them. His life was focused on the earthly. He trusted what his wealth could get to him. That's where he looked for happiness and for what was good. He trusted his wealth. And that, dear friends, that is the opposite of faith. Faith trusts God as the giver of all that is good. Faith looks to him as the source of happiness and good, the source of joy and peace and security. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, James declares in the first chapter. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Faith trusts God as the giver of all that is good. Not in what earthly wealth can get us. Faith trusts God. It looks to him and to him alone. The rich man trusted his wealth. And dear friends, you don't need to be rich in order to trust wealth as the source of happiness and goodness. How tempting for us to think to ourselves, I could be happier if I only had the money to do this or buy that, or at least I would have fewer worries. And sometimes we like to dress up that so it doesn't look quite so selfish by saying, if only my church or my community or my school had more money. And yet, how often don't those words still flow from a heart that is looking to to money as the source for what is good and what will bring blessing in this world, rather than trusting in God. How easy it is to trust the almighty dollar rather than the almighty And yet the dollar will not lift us to Abraham's side and carry us there. Rather, the trusting in the dollar brings us down to the depths of the torture of hell's flames, where even a drop of water on our tongue would seem like a luxury. Yes, trusting in wealth takes us down. Not everyone is carried to Abraham's side by those angels. Beware the alternative. Do not trust in earthly wealth. It is not the source of happiness and goodness. But there's another lesson here as well. Another lesson for us to learn from this rich man. Another warning for us to beware of. And it involves this book right here can't read the title, it's the Holy Bible. Now as we take another look at the rich man here, as he sits there in hell, tormented, we might be struck by how he is concerned for his brothers back on the earth. He wants Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers about the torture of hell. But how does Abraham answer him? He says to the rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
Moses and the prophets were the people God used to write his word in the Old Testament, just as he used the apostles and evangelists to write the New Testament. But even the Old Testament is filled with God's promises of the Savior, the promises Jesus fulfilled. You see, this book, God's Word, this is what changes hearts. This is what works repentance. This is the tool of the Holy Spirit. This, this is what saves. Not some spectacle of someone coming back from the dead, no matter how wondrous that might seem. And so, dear friends, saving faith takes God at what he says. It treasures the scriptures. Saving faith cherishes the written message of our Savior. It trusts what God says here in his book, the Bible. But what does the rich man think about that? No, Father Abraham, he says. No, the Bible isn't enough. And in fact, if you really read between the lines here, he's saying, if God had sent someone back from the dead to warn me, then I would not have ended up here either. It's God's fault that I'm suffering here in hell because God's word isn't enough. But dear friends, Yes, it is. The Bible is all that we need. For you see, Abraham makes that clear. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Bible is the full revelation that our God has given to us. Faith accepts the Bible as what God wants us to know. The Bible is all sufficient for our faith and life. We don't need anything else. For all scripture is given by inspiration and is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God is fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3. The Bible is all that we need. Do you hold the Bible in that high regard as the very word of your God and Savior? Or is the Bible boring? And we need to add something extra to spice it up so that it really can accomplish its purpose because we've got to help it out there. It doesn't have the power by itself. Music, sermons, Bible studies, Rallies, art, books, and all those kind of things cannot add to the power of God's Word. Oh, they're beneficial, but only when they highlight the message that has already been revealed in the Scriptures. For that message is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith takes God at His Word and accepts the Bible as what we need. Faith needs God's Word. It does not need some sort of excitement or experience or spectacular miracle, even someone coming back from the dead. Faith needs God's Word. Now, does our, do our actions in life 
shine out with this kind of high regard for God's word? How much time do you spend in a week reading his word and reflecting on what he says to you there? Is God's word, the Bible, your delight, your treasure, your hope? Do we turn to it as our strength, regularly turning to it for help and comfort? Does it shape our choices and decisions? Do we hold the public proclamation of that word and cherish it so highly that that we don't want to miss a worship service? Do we gladly hear and learn it? How we fall short. And this is a very serious matter. For see, there is no chance after death to get serious about learning God's word. That chasm that's pictured in the parable here brings that truth home. There is no second chance after death. Those who trust their earthly wealth for what's good in this life, they will not be there at Abraham's side. And likewise, those who despise God's word or neglect it in this life won't be there either. Not everyone is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Beware the alternative. But then, who will be there? Whom will the angels carry to Abraham's side? Will it only be poor beggars covered in sores that are licked by dogs? Well, being poor or a beggar or having a horrible disease will not get you into heaven. For you see, many who are poor still look to wealth as the source for happiness and good. They'll be with the rich man in hell. And likewise, many who suffer in this life blame God for their predicament, just like the rich man blamed him. So if it wasn't his poorness or his suffering, what made Lazarus different? Why did the angels carry him to Abraham's side? Well, the answer to that question lies in that very name for heaven we have here, Abraham's side. Why was Abraham in heaven? He wasn't poor. By earthly standards, he was quite wealthy with his flocks and herds. And as far as we know, he had no debilitating disease because he lived to be 175 years old. But Abraham believed God's promises. Faith in God's promise. That's what Abraham had. That's what Lazarus had. Their faith trusted God's promise to send the Savior to undo the curse of death that sin had brought into the world. They believed God's promise for the Savior to rescue them from the damnation their sin had earned them and instead freely bring them eternal life through the forgiveness of their sins. Even that name, Lazarus, brings this home because it comes from the Hebrew name Eliezer, which means God has helped. Lazarus looked to God as his one and only help. Wealth could not help him. A medical coverage could not help him. 
God alone was his help. He trusted God. He trusted God's promises. He did not buy into Satan's lie. Look how you're suffering. If God cared about you, would he really let you suffer like that? No. Lazarus trusted God's help. No matter what happened to him in this life, no matter how bad life had become, because he knew that God's love would not fail. God's love had promised the Savior, his Savior. That's what the uh, Moses and the prophets had foretold. That's what Lazarus' faith held on to. That God's love that sent the Savior, his Savior, would certainly be his help no matter what happened in this life. And so as Lazarus faced the earthly sufferings and troubles, he trusted in his God and Savior. For he found that comfort as he looked ahead to the heavenly home prepared for him by his Savior. Yes, there at Abraham's side, or as the King James translates, Abraham's bosom. Like a little child on daddy's lap, Lazarus found comfort resting in Abraham's faith, trusting the same promises that Abraham had trusted. Nothing in this life could rob him of that heavenly comfort that awaited him, for he trusted in God. And so also, dear friends, trust the promises of your God and Savior, just as Lazarus did no matter how bad this life may become for you, even if dogs licking your sores is the only medical coverage you have and someone else's trash seems like a banquet to you, even then, God's love has not failed you. He has not forsaken you. Trust His promises. For look, He gave up His for you. And that's all the proof faith needs to know that God's love will not fail. No matter what we see happening to us in this life, when we look at the cross there, you have the proof of God's love for you, just as Lazarus did. And the Lord's Supper brings you that proof. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. God's love does not fail. Yes, the promises of this life with its wealth and its promises of health, they will fail. They will snap in half. But God's love does not fail. Crawl up onto the lap of God's promises revealed in the scripture Snuggle there close to his heart so that like Lazarus, as your last hour draws near, you too can sing. Lord, let at last your angels come to Abram's bosom bear me home that I may die unfearing and in its narrow chamber keep my 
my body safe in a peaceful sleep until your reappearing and then from death awaken me that my own eyes with joy may see O Son of God, your glorious face my Savior and my fount of grace Lord Jesus Christ My prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise you without end. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.